But at the end of the day, it really does come down to culture. And in order to establish that culture, a leader has to have a me first mentality. Hello and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Josh, I'm very excited about your interview today with Todd Atkins. Uh, what were some kind of some takeaways for you? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about a lot is uh, how we steward people. You know, we're, we're going to be talking about leadership pipelines and how we. Uh, just manage people through this process of growing them as a disciple and moving them to uh, a point of both greater discipleship and greater responsibility within the church and within the kingdom. And, you know, pay attention to what he says when he starts talking about we've got to be good stewards of people uh, and take care of the people that God has given us. And we talk a lot about clarity and focus in the next couple of episodes, and there's a really huge benefit to that clarity and focus. If you're not clear with your staff or with volunteers, and if there's not uh, just a real focused laser beam on where the church is going and, and what each person is supposed to be doing, uh, there's an opportunity there for some legal risks. Uh, but with that clarity and with that focus, we can see a lot of, uh, of legal benefits and that everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, we see the same processes being done the same way every time. There's not a whole bunch of variables coming in and creating situations in which there can be uh, legal liability. And so it's just a, a great way to not only lead people, but to supervise them in such a fashion that we know uh, that uh, they're in a position where the church is going to be safe and we're going to have effective and efficient servants within the church. Tell us about our featured resource today. So today's featured resource is going to be LifeWay Leadership. That is led by our guest, Todd Adkins. They've got so many good things that they've got going on over there. They are equipping church leaders in their mission to make disciples and equip them. Uh, they've got so many tools for church leaders. There's Ministry Grid, which is a great way to, to train uh, people in the church. They've got New Churches, which is kind of an online forum for uh, church planning and multiplication. They've got the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network, which is just a, a list of podcasts that are great for all church leaders. We've got several conferences and events in which you can get real practical, hands-on training from uh, experts in church leadership. Uh, they operate the 5LQ podcast, which is another great leadership podcast. They've got one-on-one -on -one coaching, all sorts of stuff. So go out there and check out LifeWay Leadership. You can see them online at leadership.lifeway.com. That's awesome. Yeah, and let's go ahead and jump into that interview right now. All right. Well, our guest today is Todd Adkins from Lifeway Leadership. Todd, how are you today? I am reasonably well. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. So grateful to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us today. I want to just jump in straight into these questions because we've got a whole lot to talk about. You kind of become uh, the, the expert just per se on uh, leadership pipelines within the church and, and raising up leaders uh, both from a volunteer standpoint and from a staffing uh, perspective. And so we really want to hear uh, a lot about what you have to say and what you're doing at Lifeway Leadership right now. And then I look forward to trying to kind of merge some of that and, and taking the processes that you've got and showing uh, the audience here how legally these can be defensible as well. So can you give us just a brief synopsis of what the leadership pipeline uh, methodology is? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at what leadership pipeline is, it's really both philosophy and framework. It's not a, um, you know, an eight session course that I'm trying to sell you on Udemy. 
or anything like that. It really is philosophy and framework. So it it kind of goes back to, you know, prior to the church growth movement, we didn't treat baptism like it was the finish line. We treated it as it was the starting line. So you had development and discipleship going on in our churches, and it was scope and sequence based. You know, you weren't just on a, on a cruise to nowhere. You were actually taking steps in growth, and those were uh, very intentional, very focused, um, and you were getting somewhere on purpose. You know, it, it was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like, um, you know, there's a lot of great things about purpose driven, but what it did ultimately, I, I think it, um, it has helped us to feel good, um, about achieving things, but at the same time, we're not really getting people further down the road than they were before we've, we've right. treated things in an affinity manner. So a leadership pipeline is really, um, saying, Hey, we're going to have the poetry and the plumbing. We're going to have Yes, vision that inspires and telling people they're God's workmanship, moving them from Ephesians 2, 8, 9 to Ephesians 2, 10, but then also actually giving them tracks to run on and clear pathways so everybody knows what's their next step and it's easy, obvious, and strategic. So the, the big piece there is when you're looking at a leadership pipeline, it really goes back to the stories you tell from the stage, the strategy of pipeline itself the structure you set into place, the systems and processes. You know, people don't understand, but systems and processes actually really affect culture. And ultimately what we're talking about is a shared culture of development. Um, so once you get past the systems phase, uh, then you really have a, a skills training standpoint of, hey, what are the core competences that, that we want all of our volunteers to have? And then what are the role-based competencies that we want to have? So when we establish structure, we establish clear things like systems. Uh, when you get to that skills piece, it is, okay, well, if this guy is a leader in our church, whether they're leading uh, a group of ushers on in the 930 service on Sunday morning or they're leading a small group, we want them to have a certain level of training and dealing with conflict as an example. And that, that's just, you know, that, that's something that's really basic. While... Yes, you want the guy to have role-specific training as well and making sure that, you know, they know how to lead a group or they know what to do in the case of an emergency uh, when it comes to the ushers or hushers, as I called them when I was <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's all good stuff. And one of the things I'm constantly telling churches, and, and one of these days I'm going to write a, write a book called The Process-Driven Church. Um, oh, no, no, no. That's my line, man. <laughs> Actually, you know whose line that is? Is Eric Geiger's line. Because when we were in seminary together, Purpose Driven was massive. Uh -huh. You know, that's like <clears throat> 20 years ago or so right now. And um, so we said, hey, we're going to write the Process Driven Church. Well, he did. His dissertation um, was the foundation for a simple church. Dr. Right. Rayner was his, uh, his, his prof, and uh, they ended up doing more research and changing that into uh, simple church, which really is a very... Um, it marries your purpose and your process. So, you know, love, love others, lead others to love Jesus, uh, love others, lead, sorry, love others, love Jesus, love others, lead others to love Jesus was basically worship groups and then, you know, training development to help people using their gifts and service to Christ, growing into spiritual maturity. So, mm -hmm. and, and aligning that up um, with different environments in the church, very similar to what um, Stanley would have done back in the early 2000s as well for your kitchen concept right right we had uh, dr rayner on uh, in our inaugural episode talking through some of that simple church stuff but you know 
ultimately what, what I like to tell churches is policy is easy. You know, they'll call me up and say, uh, hey, we need to uh, we need to draft up a, a child protection policy. It's like, OK, get a pencil. Uh, we're going to make this really easy. We report child abuse. There's your policy. <laughs> It's yeah. how you do that that can get you into trouble. And if everybody's reinventing the wheel every time, there's all sorts of variables and free radicals right. that can come in and create liabilities for the church. And so it's really a process that we want to repeat over and over and over again and then see the inefficiencies that are in that process so that we can weed them out and look for ways that we can make that process more effective. And so it's kind of a win-win. We're advancing the kingdom and we're building this discipleship process, but we're also making sure that how we go about doing ministry is not going to put us in a situation where uh, the church can can get sued and then we're not comfortable going to a judge or jury with whatever uh, process or lack thereof that we executed in order to do that ministry that ended up um, getting us where we were. So that stuff is great. Uh, and I may, I may have just a- asked the second question that I've got for you today. Uh, I've got a question for you real quick. Cause I was, I was an executive pastor, uh, at, at McLean Bible in DC for a while. And, um, you know, we, we had a little bit of a conversation early on about, um, about, you know, how, how much uh, of a line item I have my budget for litigation. I think one of the real issues that we face today that maybe, you know, churches decade or two ago didn't face was the court of opinion has a different sense of justice than what the court of the law does. And so there are things that we can do and, you know, we can dot all the I's and cross all the T's from a legal perspective and lose in the court of opinion and vice versa. We could win the court of opinion, but you lose in the court of law. So I think that's one of the most difficult things for um, churches that today is is to know what those things are. So I just really want to speak again to, um, you know, the valuable resource that this podcast is and continue to walk through some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You've given me a whole lot to think about. I've got to drive to Little Rock for some meetings uh, uh, tomorrow, and I'll be thinking about that one um, <laughs> all the way there, you know, well, trying to have a win-win there. When it comes to uh, things like abuse and prevention, there are things that you can do that, you know, help you from a legal standpoint, but it doesn't matter if you took all these steps and paid for counseling and did, you know, all these things, you can still lose in the court of opinion um, versus the court of law and be, because, you know, it really doesn't matter. People that are seeking truth, quote unquote, or seeking justice, quote unquote, um, sometimes don't care what the real circumstances are, or you're never going to get that that's never going to come into play. There's not going to be uh, witnesses to be called and, you know, something that's done decently in an order. It's just splattered across the newspapers or social media for everyone to see. And man, I just can't imagine uh, having to handle some of those. So yeah. some of those things today. Well, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Plaintiffs want to talk and defense attorneys tell defendants to be quiet. <laughs> and so uh, there's another, you know, you've got two strikes against you going into the court of public opinion just because, you know, if, if something goes wrong and the church ends up getting sued, the first thing I'm telling the church is you have no comment. Uh, don't, right. don't talk. Don't, you know, because it could hurt you later. So, um, man, interesting, uh, interesting dichotomies there. We'll have to have to continue to think through and work through and find a good solution. Sorry, I derailed us. I'm really good at that. No, you're, you're good, man. You're good. So I think we've kind of already answered this a little bit, but let's just talk through it some more and talk about why church 
should create a pipeline? Why should they give um, Lifeway leadership a call or go to the, the leadership pipeline conference? What is it about this that, that churches really need to latch onto and, and why should they do that? Well, first of all, I would say, you know, as church leaders, we're given one job in Ephesians 4, and that's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And if we truly believe that, um, you know, everyone is called, everyone is sent from a priest to the believer standpoint, we truly believe then that you cannot grow into spiritual maturity apart from using your gifts and service to Christ. We need to make sure that we are good stewards of the people that are under our care and especially in this day and age, um, if you're going to do that, you have to be super clear, super focused, and make sure that people understand what their uh, next step is. And, and to us, we're the persons that created the steps. We're the ones that created the systems. And it's very easy for us to get up and say, oh, the people aren't doing it. You know, I've made the announcement or isn't it really obvious? This is what you're supposed to do. No, it's obvious to you because you made that. But I double dog redneck dare you to ask a new person that came into your church in the last three months, ask them some of these important questions about how to get plugged in. Or um, if you think you know how the couple went from the newcomers class to the small group on Thursday night, you know, over a course of, you know, they, they came here and then four weeks later they showed up there. You, you know, if you ask your, your staff person that um, or the leader that's over that, how that happened, oh, they'll tell you, oh, it, you know, one, two, three. Well, audit that. See if that is actually the case. See how many people are falling through the cracks. So that's one of the big reasons why um, pipeline is so important because it is absolutely essential. It's our one job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to help them move forward by using their gifts and service of Christ. It's not going to happen unless you have a very clear and focused manner to do so. The other thing I would say uh, if I may, is, you know, we talked about uh, church growth movement, and that was, you know, what, 30 years ago or so, uh, almost 40 now. Um, we used to have people two or three times a week at our church. Now, statistically, we get them two or three times a month. So it's that much more important when we have them to make sure that we're intentional. Um, what once was intuitive, and I could intuitively place leaders or say, oh, this person is an intuitively good person with people. I don't have I don't have the luxury of having that anymore because they're not going to either they're not going to be there as often um, or they're not going to know where to go. So there's so many offerings. There's so many opportunities before them. Um, I'm not really focusing them on what's important and moving them forward. So those are the two biggest reasons, I think, um, that you need to have a pipeline in place. Yeah. Yeah. Those are. All great things, and, and certainly those are, I would say, first and foremost, um, you know, reasons to to have that pipeline so that we are continuing to mature believers uh, and and equip them to do that work of the ministry. Uh, you know, I come in on the on the legal side of things and and see things through those lenses uh, sometimes more often than I should. Um, but but you know, a pipeline. I look at this and say, man, that is a great way to make sure that these processes that we've already talked about needing to repeat over and over again are taught uh, and make sure right. people understand how to do those things. Uh, and, you know, there's a, a concept in law and it works both in terms of employment, but also in terms of, of volunteer relationships called negligent hiring. Uh, and ultimately, if you are not, um, you know, vetting people properly, and then there's negligent supervision. So if you're not supervising people properly, or if something happens and you retain them improperly, then you get your, your church in 
the situation where there's legal liability there and through this pipeline, those things are kind of already built into the process uh, where you're moving people from from one stage of the pipeline to the next, teaching them new ministry responsibilities. You, you're automatically building in that supervision uh, aspect of it. And you're to an extent kind of uh, building in this this vetting process and so forth. So it's a great way to, I don't know, help keep you out of trouble. Right. In that regard as well. Well, one of the things that uh, we did with the Southern Baptist Convention this year, um, we partnered with them and the ERLC, the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, to develop um, content that was specifically to make sure that churches had an opportunity to have all their uh, volunteers or volunteer leaders go through sexual abuse prevention and reporting uh, training. And so that's pretty, it's pretty extensive training. And, you know, the, the result of it is at the end, a person gets a, a certificate of completion. And all that means is you could basically certify, quote unquote, that they went through all of, uh, all you know, watched all those sessions and then was able to answer, you know, some questions at the end, comprehension questions again at the end. You put the comprehension questions in there to make sure they didn't just press play and go make a sandwich. Uh, but at the at the end of the day, that's at least a record um, that a church has that, hey, we we do require this. And this person went through this training and here's here's the training record, you know, and, and they were able to answer the questions uh, correctly. Um, it doesn't negate the fact that somebody can go through that and then do something awful or you know, whatever. But at least you have that record to say, hey, we we require this. This is important to us. At least from a negligence perspective, you know we're we're not negligent, we're not negligent. at least in requiring training and you know doing these things to to kind of put um, a prevention piece in place. So I, I think that's vital, and that's all free, by the way, um, on Ministry Grid. Like you can actually, um, if you go to churchcares.com.org, I believe it is, um, you can see those things, but you can actually assign it to people. Uh, and track it all for free. You know, there's there's no hidden fees or anything like that. Um, and there's several things like that. Uh, church security. There's other things on on grid that are free mm-hmm. that churches can take advantage of. But yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. At least in the last year, um, that we've taken a step to help churches in that perspective. Right. Yeah. And we've got something similar at Church General Council where we're putting together uh, these policy and process manuals. Uh, it's kind of like just taking your your standard employee handbook, um, but putting it online rather than in a whole bunch of loose leaf policies right. that are kind of floating around. Um, but it does the same thing. It gives you the ability to assign that particular policy to an employee or to a volunteer who needs to see it. And then it automatically tracks their completion and test scores if you wanted to put a test in there and, and so forth. Right. So all that's really great stuff. So if a church was about to start doing this pipeline, what's something that you'd say are the key things that a church leader needs to do in order to create uh, a pipeline in their church? Man, so um, in the course of doing this, I mean, me personally or one or two members of my team, there's not a big team here, um, we walked through pipeline process, coached people live in person, for, you know, two days, uh, two day workshops, over 4,000 people now have gone through it. Church leaders have gone through it. And I can tell you that, um, whether, you know, in the last three or four months, I've been in India and Indianapolis, uh, doing this. And I can tell you in both situations, 
um, whether churches here or around the world, we're all dealing with some of the same things. And those big things are uh, priests of the believers. I mentioned, do we really believe in the priests of the believer as evangelical churches? Do we really believe in the priests of the believer? Do we really believe that all have been called, all have been sent and everybody's got a job to do. And every, you know, are we really more about building an army or building an audience? And we can say a lot, but it actually comes out in what we do and what we lift up, what we, uh, say is important. And, and all that comes down to cultivation of culture. And that, you know, matters from the stories we tell um, and, you know, what gets celebrated, what gets measured, what gets controlled. Do we, do we measure what's important or do we measure what's easy and then call it important? Um, you know, there's all these, there's all these things, but at the end of the day, it really does come down to, culture. And in order to establish that culture, a leader has to have a me first mentality. And yes, it's, you know, we're, we're supposed to be servant leaders and, uh, you know, be wary of people who want to pick up a title before they pick up a towel, but we should be the first to do that. And we shouldn't have any qualms, at least in my opinion, about spending uh, quality time with the front row. And what I mean by the front row is the people who are willing to lead and serve. Like if somebody can't accuse me of exclusivity in my relationships, then I'm probably not developing anybody. Um, it doesn't mean that I, you know, develop quote unquote, the same people for years and years. No, it means that this year I'm going to take, you know, a group of guys or a group of guys and gals through uh, a process and make sure that they have been trained to do the same with others. It is a constant um, reproduction value that must be upheld. And I have to model that. I can't just say it. So it's poetry. Yes, but it's also plumbing. Yeah. Wow. That's great stuff. You know, I'm one of those 4,000 or so that have been through the the leadership pipeline training. This was, I mean, it may have been the first year that you guys did it there in Nashville. Uh, and I walked away with so many takeaways and it, it worked so well as we started to work through these processes uh, that, that when I launched Church General Council to start working with churches in their, um, you know, legal needs and process and policy manual needs, that the first thing I did was sit down and map out a pipeline. Uh, you know, ultimately, we want whatever we build to outlive us. Uh, and so I didn't sit down and, and create a, do a SWOT analysis or do a, a business plan or anything. The first thing I did was built out a pipeline uh, so right. that I knew, okay, what steps would somebody need to take to take my job? Uh, and and take this and continue to run with it long after uh, God calls me home. So, man, this is great stuff. What are some last thoughts on this first episode? We're, we're really excited to have you back next week as well. But what are some last thoughts you got on this one? Man, I would say this. when you're Whether you're looking at um, staffing or you're looking at volunteers and volunteer leaders, uh, policies and processes are really, really important. Um, I cannot understate how important they are because they embed culture, maybe more than anything else, maybe even more than vision, because policies and processes, systems that people interact with actually dictate behavior way more than you ever thought they did. So they're really important, and it's really important to have those good ones in place. But please, please, please do not add a policy or procedure or process because somebody did something stupid once. Yep. Um, you can't, uh, you need to say, hey, is this a competency issue? Is this a training issue? Is this a culture issue? 
you know, why does this, why does this happen? Is there something else I need to do instead of putting a, a policy into place? Because the policies we have in place are super important. We want everyone to go through those. We want everybody to fill out the most important things. But before we add something else, let's make sure that we, it is absolutely necessary because when you do that, um, people feel dumped on, um, and not developed. And, and so that's a, a really big, I would say no, no. Uh, and a lot of leaders, a lot of our church leaders are, are people that are leaders in our community. We wonder why they don't serve in our churches. And a lot of times it's because we make it really difficult for them to do. And we treat it like the people are for our process, not our processes for our people to be developed and, and um, given the ministry away. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, it's unfortunately something that happens far too often is that we make a decision on how we're going to respond to something when we need to respond to something. And that's not the time to do it. You've got to kind of think ahead and know um, what these things are and have that plan in place before we get there. So, Todd, we're really excited to have you back next week. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Wow, Josh, just so much wisdom in that and obviously a great interview. Um, and obviously this is going to be our our first part of a two-part series. So what is uh, what are some takeaways from that first part? You know, he asked a really great question that I've been thinking about since we were able to, to have this interview. And that question was, how many people are falling through the cracks? Uh, you know, and I know Todd was talking about how many people in your church are not serving. You can't grow in Christ unless you're using the gifts that uh, that he's given you through the Holy Spirit to serve his church. And I think that's important. We need to know how many people are falling through the cracks, and we need to figure out how we can get people who are not volunteering to volunteer. But I think there's there, there's kind of a hidden secondary part of that, and that's how many volunteers have fallen through the cracks. You know, a lot of times in churches, we're, we're so strapped for volunteers that we'll take anybody who says they'll help, and we kind of throw them into the deep end of the pool and say, go, uh, you, you know, and they end up falling through the cracks. Either uh, they they quit midstream or they serve one year and, and don't do it anymore. You know, ultimately, if we have people in this pipeline where we're we're helping them and we're holding them accountable and they're holding us accountable and they're asking questions and we're continuing to equip them to do the work of the ministry like Ephesians 4 tells us to do, then it puts us in a situation where uh, not only do we have more effective and more efficient volunteers because they're better trained and they better understand and they're more passionate about what they're doing, but again, it puts us in a situation where if there is risky conduct, if there is something that could uh, bring some liability to the church, that we're there watching it uh, and we see what's going on and we can step in and make some corrections. And that's something we're going to talk about uh, quite a bit more in our next episode. Josh, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on over at Church Council. You know, we talk an awful lot about processes and how those processes can protect your church, but doing it well is really time-consuming. And so as a result, there are a lot of churches that are operating unprotected with few or no documented procedures and policies, not to mention the state of many churches' bylaws. Uh, And as the world becomes more litigious, church leaders are going to need a simple, affordable, expert way to protect their churches with good policies and procedures. And Church General Counsel offers that, a customized online policy and process manual that also serves as a cloud-based training platform for volunteers and staff. 
life. You'll have access to an attorney like myself that focuses on church law, and that is all included with this system. So go check that out at churchgeneralcouncil.com. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law and Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links. Everything is available for you there. And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week.